called the young Jeremiah to a daunting task, preaching to the nations. Does God still call to preach to the nations, or is that a thing for the past? Let's have a look together this morning at this whole question of God's call and commission uh, for world mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look together at the facts and the scriptures now, that you would stir our hearts, that you would move us uh, to think and speak of you uh, with those whom we will see this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So just turning or starting for the moment with that well-known Great Commission from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. The scope of the Great Commission is nicely portrayed. Its objective is very clear. Go and make disciples. Not converts, disciples. Lifelong learners, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Its scope is wide-ranging. It's to all nations, not just the ones that welcome missionaries or the ones where there's an Anglican church already. And its focus is baptizing. In other words, making members of the church. It has a clear doctrinal foundation in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And its method is actually spelt out. It says, teach them everything I have commanded you. The inspiration is also clear there because it says, Jesus says, I am with you. There's the continual presence of Jesus Christ throughout this whole process. And its duration is uh, quite blunt to the very end of the age. And its power, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, therefore go. All the power promised by Christ um, is available. This is the manifesto of the church. Not, we never did it that way before, but go into all the world and make disciples. Preach the gospel to all creation. Back in 1848, um, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels' Communist Manifesto ended with the words, workers of the world, you might. You have nothing to lose but your chains. You have a world to win. And in about 100 years, they very nearly did. You think of the, the spread of the communist uh, ideology at its height in the middle of the 20th century. Vast amounts of South America, Africa, and uh, huge amounts of Asia and uh, Europe were uh, under the sway thereof. Jesus is saying to his disciples, we have a world to win. You've heard the story, I'm sure, of the uh, apocryphal account of when Jesus uh, returned to heaven from the, uh, the resurrection for, after the ascension. And the angel Gabriel pulled him on one side and said, Lord, that's wonderful what you've done for humanity. 
what are your plans to spread this message across the world? And Jesus went through 120 individuals he got uh, that were all there ready to go. Right, said Gabriel, and, um, and, and if they don't, what's your other plan? And to which Jesus replied, I don't have another plan. It's down to us. At the time, when Jesus was speaking, there were probably 250 million people in the world. Uh, now, uh, I think it's about 7.5 billion, um, something like that. 7.7 billion. Nominally speaking, one third of those are Christians. Which is good news. But two thirds of those are not Christians which is the challenge that faces us to this day. Uh, in our own country, uh, within England, the statistics probably don't look as rosy as they do worldwide. So within this country, um, I think it's down to 14% now, uh, a Church of England um, uh, membership in the loosest possible sense in terms of the... Uh, England Social Survey that's done every few years. Uh, and about one million come to Anglican churches. But the number who are actually born again, well, only Jesus knows the number who are actually saved. The task remaining is enormous, and it's particularly so in our own country. If we turn back again to the New Testament, there's a clear strategy used by Paul and the early church for spreading the gospel. And it goes like this. You, you can see it repeated again and again in the book of Acts. The local church sends out missionaries. It was Antioch as a local church that sent out Paul and, and uh, Barnabas in the first instance. The local church sends out some missionaries. The missionaries come to some place and they begin working purely as evangelists, simply seeking to be contagious with their faith for however long that takes. And in due course, there are some conversions. The missionary then gathers those converts into an infant church. And in a sense, the missionary then shifts their focus. They cease to be an evangelist, per se, and become um, a, a church planter. They teach and they disciple that infant church until it grows in maturity a little. And at that point, the missionary leaves because what goes on is that the local church engages first in local evangelism and then sends out more missionaries to multiply the process across the world. That's the plan used in the New Testament for spreading the gospel. I don't think anything really has changed in God's eyes to this, to this day. The local church is still... Bill Hybels used to say, the hope of the world. It is still the mission center 
not the mission agencies, not all the, the, uh, the orders of ordinands and evangelists and bishops and apostles and anything else you care to name, but the local church is, is the nerve center of mission. The local church is the one who sends out Whom does God call as a missionary today? He clearly still calls full-timers to the mission field for several very good reasons. One, it takes a long while to reach that point where you can be effective in a cross-cultural setting. I don't think it's wrong. I, th I think it's quite right that... A, um, in those settings, you'd expect somebody to have had some theological training and some ministry experience. The chance to do language learning, which does not take five minutes, and adapt to a culture in a different place. That can take many years before a fruitful ministry can begin in another country sometimes. story of Thailand for instance. In Thailand it took 19 years of mission work before the first converts were baptized. Only then could the missionaries begin the task of building a church. When do you think that was that the first converts were baptized in Thailand? It's surprisingly recent. It's 1970, which I always find uh, you know, really striking. That it's that recent that the first converts uh, in, in Thailand uh, were converted. Of course, there are many countries where it's not possible to just ring up and get a visa and go in as a missionary. <laughs> you, you won't do that in North Korea, and you won't do that in Saudi Arabia either, for different reasons, but uh, nonetheless, you wouldn't be welcome. There are, uh, however, many opportunities to see prayer change things. When I was growing up, you'd never have thought of being able to go in and work with the church in Poland because it was part of the communist bloc and was entirely a closed country. And Brother Andrew risked his life going in there with Bibles. And yet now that is an open country. Um, and that is partly down to prayer. So prayer does change things. And prayer does make a difference there. You know, Cuba, likewise, or, or Cambodia, now allow foreign workers in when they were completely closed. But there are many lands, Muslim lands are the obvious examples, but also places like North Korea, where there is still a completely closed door to official mission work. However, there are still uh, other ways for the gospel to get in. Clearly, the internet has huge reach, and to some degree, in some of those countries, uh, the locals can access the wider internet. Um, but likewise, also, uh, there are special trades that even the most closed of countries sometimes allow in. Uh, a 
specialist engineer or a medic or something like that. And those people have a chance to be contagious Christians even in an apparently closed country. And thirdly, there are lots of opportunities in the English-speaking world for short-term mission. Uh, so that means large parts of uh, Africa, for instance, or um, Central America, where English is widely spoken, uh, large parts of uh, uh, India and, and the Indian subcontinent. These are places where um, you know, somebody with a year or two to offer, can, or even less sometimes, can offer time through a mission agency and go and get involved in making a difference. And, and, and two years can be enough if you've got all the language uh, to actually uh, make some headway in, in a country. What do missionaries do? Well, clearly they've got to be people who are First of all, full of love for Jesus and want to share him with others. Yes, that the obvious person is the evangelist, gifted person, the person who, in every circumstance, uh, shares what they're passionate about and who shares Jesus. It also includes pastors and teachers and church planters. But what about... Bible translators and medical workers, aid workers, broadcasters, social media presenters, um, authors, pilots and ground crew for missionary aviation, sailors for missionary ships, and so on. There's, the list is actually a very long list of trades and specialisms that are, are needed on the mission field. But here's the thing. There are over 140,000 Protestant missionaries uh, in the world today, but they are very, very unevenly distributed. They're almost all of them, um, the vast majority, um, in uh, the Americas and the Pacific region. And the great majority of them work in rural settings. The funny thing is, though, that the great majority of humanity lives in cities. In fact, there are huge numbers of people in Asia, uh, for instance, who are in an area very poorly represented with mission work. And of course, there are countries that are uh, very closed, countries where all sorts of persecution takes place for, for Christians. Persecution in North Korea is of the form where if you admit to being a Christian, that is a crime against the state and you will be sent to a camp for re-education because there is only one Lord and that is uh, Kim and you aren't allowed to have any other Lord. The persecution in, um, for instance, Kenya, which you might not have thought of a place where Christians were persecuted, is of the form that actually if you are Christian group, in northern Kenya, you fear for the next attack of the Boko Haram. And so it's still pressure, it's still persecution, it's still actually endangering your life, even though the political setting is completely different. 
pressure in um, Saudi Arabia is a, a different case again and so forth because it sees itself as the home place of Mecca and the holy sites. And so uh, in each place, there are different pressures that the Christian church faces. You can check it out by going to um, Operation World, their website or their books, or um, Open Doors, it's um, uh, again, uh, website and, and publications, both have got really helpful lists of the situation that Christians face in different countries. Preaching the gospel, wherever it may be, though, is not an optional extra for the church. It's God's command. At one level, Jesus said he would not return until the gospel had been preached to all nations. We have that lovely vision in Revelation of uh, the multitudes before the throne of the Lamb, Revelation 7, which includes, we're told, men and women of every race, tribe, people, and tongue. Some tongues haven't even got the Bible yet. We're working on it. They reckon they might get them finished by 2025 or 2030, thereabouts. But that's you know, six and a half, seven thousand different languages, the, uh, of which we've only got about three and a half to four thousand done to date. Love for a world that is lost, a world without Christ, should ensure that we do not rest until everyone has had a chance to hear and respond to the gospel. And that's not a fleeting thing. Research in this country has indicated that just on average, going around the churches, where people could identify their own conversion, they had heard the gospel in a meaningful way six times, something like that on average. And that's not just seeing a tract you don't understand. That's actually hearing it in a meaningful way that connects. It takes time. It takes prayer. Because we're changing spiritual realities. What should we be doing we should be praying. We should be the prayer house behind uh, the, those on the front line. We should be sharing the gospel here with those around us for whom you don't need to go on a language course in order to learn to speak to your next door neighbor. You do understand the culture uh, of the people down your street. should be praying for both overseas and for British mission. And it may be that God is calling some of us to give more than that uh, to mission. That from this church he will call out those who will go either in the UK or overseas or wherever uh, in some way uh, to spread the gospel. Any call of God will be clearly confirmed and God will provide. And Jesus promised that no one who has left home or brother or sister or 
mother or father or children for fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. It seems a long time ago when Jeremiah was told, I want you to be a prophet. God is still calling people today, saying, I want you to speak for me. I want you to be willing to leave and, and to go. I want you to be willing to speak up and be vulnerable. Don't say, I am too old, I am too young, I am too uh, weak, I am too whatever. If I have called you, I will give you the words to say. 